0: So we're in our series called uh, Our Words Matter, and what we've been talking about is the fact that our words are very powerful. And um, this is week five, I think, and we've been talking about the fact that, and and some of you here have had someone say something to you that was very negative, and you've carried that all your life. I have some things, some conversations I've been in in my life, uh, two for sure that I know of that damaged me, <laughs> you know, that I can still remember, and I, and, and you know, you think to yourself, like, man, how can you go all these years, and it, and it still creep up and bother you? I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but all of a sudden you'll be sitting there just driving down the road and you'll start talking to somebody as though the conversation that was happening again and it's 8, 10, 15 years from when the conversation took place and you're thinking, oh, if I, if I had that conversation again is what I would have told him, you know, you'd do all that stuff and because words matter and you were wounded by some words. For some of us, the exact opposite has, has happened. Somebody has come and come and spoke words of life to you encouraged you. Some of you are in the job you're in now because somebody said you can do it. I think you'd be really good at that. And some of you are in some places in your life and have done some things that really have been because some people have spoken some healing words to you and you've been able to accomplish things that you might not have before. And so we've been talking about the fact that our words matter. And kind of the, the, the verse that we've been looking at um, in the beginning is, is this one out of Luke. It says, the good man brings good Out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. And this is kind of the key verse. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you just all of a sudden blurt something out, it's not that you don't have self-control over your mouth. It's that there's something going on in your heart. And you couldn't control yourself, and you had to just get it out. So why oftentimes we say I didn't mean to say that. When in fact we should be saying I didn't know I felt that way. And so the, kind of the, the there's another verse in James that's pretty cool that I was, I couldn't help but bring it up again this week. We, I don't think we've talked about it yet. If anyone considers himself religious, right, you meet a lot of religious people, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. If I if 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 I learn every little bit of this bible i can pr- say it and do it and all this kind of stuff great but if i can't keep a tight rein on my tongue my religion is worthless and james goes on to talk about what good religion really looks like um, we're not going to go into that now but here's kind of the main point if you want to control your mouth control your heart if, if if you have an anger problem if you're just blurting things out if you get into arguments all the time that's not a mouth problem that's a heart problem you have anger issues and we got to d- deal with that if, if, if somebody you love, the, the opposite can happen, really wants to talk to you and say, what's going on? And you've zipped it up and you've, there's something going on. Your heart does not want to let anything out and you got you to gotta figure that out. And so I've been, you know, it's been a fun series for me. Like, like all our series, what we do and how we pick a series is I pick something I want to study that I need to learn for myself and then we do a five-week series on it until I'm tired of talking about it. That's basically how it, how it all works out. And so um, that's, that's what's happened here. So if you, if you want to control um, your mouth, control your heart. This morning, we're going to talk about something, uh, another kind of mouth issue called um, praise. And what we've been doing is we've been trying to get a good mix of bad things that you can do with your speech and uh, good things you can do with your speech. And so we've talked about gossip, which landed on the bad column. Uh, and boasting was on the bad column, and then we talked about encouragement and sharing the gospel, and now this morning we're going to be talking about praise, and what we're going to be looking at is a story out of Second Chronicles chapter 20 about this king named Jehoshaphat, which is, I don't know where he got his name or what it means, but The fat on the end, we can all, uh, you know, agree is really hip. So maybe it means something like maybe that's where we got the word fat. I don't know. P-H-A-T. All right, it was a bad joke. I realize that. I'll never say it again, okay? But you got to understand something about this king because it's it's really cool when you get the history of who this guy was. If you look before... Uh, chapter 20, which is what we're going to look at, in chapters 19 and 18, it gives this idea of these two different kings. Israel was uh, divided between two kingdoms, a northern kingdom, which we call Israel, and a southern kingdom, which we call Judah, okay? Um, Ahab, this king, was the king of the northern kingdom, and Jehoshaphat was the king of the southern kingdom, and they couldn't be any two different kings, Ahab was doing everything wrong. The Lord was not happy with him. He was, they were worshiping idols. He kind of had all this stuff going on. Jehoshaphat was trying to do everything right. And so at one point, uh, Ahab comes to um, Jehoshaphat and says this, hey, you're, you guys are Jews. We're Jews. We're in the north. You're in the south. We're all the same kind of people. Why don't we join together and we'll go attack this area called Ramoth-Gilead, okay? And then we'll just all just kind of like combine forces. It'll be like a, you know, you kind of have like a, two corporations coming together to wipe out another corporation. It'll be, it'll be fun. So Jehoshaphat goes, well, uh, okay, but don't you think we should inquire of the Lord about this? Now, husbands, I don't know if you've ever done that, where you say like, hey, honey, I think we should do that. And then your wife, who's more spiritual than you, says, don't, have we, don't you think we should pray about that? And you're like, "Ah, okay, fine, right? Because she's the spiritual head of the household, right? <laughs> Same thing. Jehoshaphat is the spiritual head of the Israeli household, okay, of Israel. He says, don't you think we should kind of seek the Lord? And, and uh, Ahab goes, yes, we'll get the prophets of God. I've got some prophets of God. And uh, Pastor Bob, when I was preaching out of the Old Testament, I got a little nervous because Pastor Bob's like an Old Testament scholar, and so I was getting kind of scared that he'd correct me on some things, um, which he didn't do after first service, but he did inform me on some things. And and one of the things he informed me on is Ahab would use the term prophets of God, and that struck a note with uh, Jehoshaphat. And he goes, no, we're looking for... He goes, don't you have any prophets of the Lord here? Don't you, don't you have anybody who'll really... Come on. And so Gilead talks to his prophets, and they're like, go get them. You guys are going to wipe them out. Yeah, it's awesome. One prophet comes with these iron horns. I don't know if he had them in his bedroom or if he just fashioned them. But he said... You're going to gore the Aramaeans like, this, like these horns will go. You know, and everyone's like, yay. And Jehoshaphat's going, Man, this doesn't sound like the Lord. First of all, who just has iron horns hanging around? Okay, right? Secondly, it just, it doesn't sound like the Lord. So he says, don't you have a prophet? And here's what Ahab says. It's so classic. Yeah, we do, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies anything good about me. Right? So you, you're starting to get an idea of what Ahab's like and what Jehoshaphat is like. And so Jehoshaphat goes, first of all, he goes, you shouldn't talk about a prophet of God like that. Because it's God. And I don't know about the horns, but I do know about lightning. And he's going to get you. Right? So they go, go get that prophet. That's an awesome story. You guys should read. Your, you got to read your Bibles. You got to read your Bibles. There's stories like this all in there. They're all true. They're all wonderful. So they send this messenger to go to this, um, the, to this, um, prophet called Mike, uh, Micaiah, Micaiah, and they go to, it doesn't have anything to do with the story I'm about to tell, they, they go to this guy, and they go, hey, will you just for once agree with the other prophets, okay, so we can get this over with, like, why don't you make a big deal out of everything, they go to this guy, they say, all the prophets are saying we should go to war, so they bring in Micaiah, he comes in before the two kings, and he says this, this is so cool, see, it's back, oh, sorry, I... Um, I'm getting old, and I realize my Bible is way too small, so grandpa's going to be preaching this morning, all right? I, I, I can't help it. He says, "But um, so Micaiah says, well, as the Lord lives, I can only tell you what God's telling me. And the messenger's like, just, just agree with the prophets. So when they arrive, the king asks, Micaiah, shall I go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or should I not? And you could just imagine the way he has to say this. Because he says, Attack and, and be victorious, for they will be given into your hand. But Ahab knows something's up. So I think it went like this Attack, be victorious, for they will be given into your hand. Now Ahab confronts him on it. How many times shall I swear to, to make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scattered in the hills like sheep because they don't have anyone to lead them. There. You want to hear from the Lord? There you go. And Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat and goes, see, I told you he doesn't say anything good about me. I swear to you, that's exactly what it says. It's in uh, chapter 18. This is the type of king Ahab is, and this is the type of king Jehoshaphat is. They finally go into battle, and ahab kind of tricks jehoshaphat and says why don't you dress up like the king and i'll go in disguise and that way jehoshaphat would die well it doesn't work out that way a random arrow shoots ahab right between the breastplate and where his chainmail hits and goes right in there he's got an arrow sticking out of his chest uh, for the remainder of the day until he died right now this is where we pick up where we're at in chapter 20 and here's the thing i want you to see Jehoshaphat finds himself in a position where he's been trying to do the right thing, okay? As a matter of fact, you read about some of the things Jehoshaphat did. In his area, Judah, he set up these, these um, judges that would judge be, be among the people. And he said to them, you better judge rightly because you're judging on behalf of the Lord. And this we're not to be messing around with this. And so Jehoshaphat is like, he's changing the way Judah is beginning to see how God moves. And all of a sudden, Jehoshaphat finds out this king is dead in the north. It's just him. And you might be in a a time in your life right now where you've been trying to do all the right stuff. you're, you're, You're going through life. You're going through life. And all of a sudden, something totally out of your control happens. And now you're stuck. Now you're there trying to figure out, what do I do? Now, watch what happens to Jehoshaphat. Somebody comes up to him, and he says, uh, there's a vast army coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It's already in Hazazon Tamar. I mean, it's on its way, and it's already right there. It'd be like like this. if They said, you know what, guys? I'm just going to tell you right now. There's another church... Down the street, like in Irvine, and they're already at Westminster, and they're coming to kill us. Okay, it's kind of that type of thing. It would be a bigger church because we'd jack them up if. They... Oh no. Okay, here we go. Just... Uh, no. Okay. Okay. So, this is this is where he finds himself. <laughs> Alarmed, right? Alarmed. This is news to him. He doesn't. It, this is all of a sudden. Here he is trying to do the right thing. He, 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 he's with, uh, uh, this other king dies. He's by himself, alarmed. Now listen to what he does. This is so important. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, here's what happens to me when I get alarmed or I find out something that is totally outside of my, my deal. I start thinking of a solution. You know, you get the pink slip, all of a sudden, a, a spouse says, I'm out of here. All of a sudden, one of your kids gives you some information, and you're like, what in the world? Or, or you, you, all of a sudden, you realize you're going to have to downsize, or you realize all this kind of stuff, stuff outside of your control. I start thinking, okay, how are we going to get through this? You know what Jehoshaphat does? He resolves, I'm going to inquire of the Lord, and we're going to have a fast. and to All of Judah is going to have a fast, and we're going to find out. So the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Check out the leadership Jehoshaphat has. Now listen, it's super important. Because for us as a church, we're a kingdom and priests similar to the way Israel is. And as God moves on our heart, as things began to happen to us as a church family, as a church community... Right? As those things happen, what's our response going to be? They all come together and they all, from all over Judah. And they go, we're going to have to figure this out. So Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of all of them. And he begins to pray in this courtyard. And watch Jehoshaphat, watch kind of his perspective. I'm wondering if it can be ours as we kind of face these things that are outside of our control. He says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who's in heaven? This is a beautiful way to approach God when something like this, like you, when you're about ready to face a battle in your life. Like to get that posture of like, God, Aren't you, yeah, here's the thing, if we're in church and we're just kind of like doing church because Sunday mornings you're supposed to go to church and all that kind of stuff, I, here, here's what I struggle with sometimes as a pastor. I talk about church stuff so much and I, I talk about, you know, like I read church books and I talk to pastors and I go to pastor's conferences. Bob and I were at a, a, a learning community on Monday and Tuesday. You talk all about this stuff, you forget the reason I'm doing this is because I have a heavenly Father, a God in heaven, who's ordaining His kingdom as we speak. And that's just kind of a resetting. It's almost like you get the letter in the mail from the IRS or you get the notice, you get the email from corporate and they say, we're downsizing. And it's like like if we can as a people just resolve to inquire the Lord and just go to Him and say, okay, first of all, aren't you the God of heaven? Like, aren't you the one who's got it all figured out? That's how he starts off. Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. And then he starts to go on and kind of remind God as though God needed some reminding of some things. Like, first he starts going, and, you know, uh, you drove out the inhabitants of the land i mean we 're here because you you made it possible for us to be here and and then he says <laughs> he kind of does some things that we are just so raw and honest. The first thing he says is, oh, and by the way, you know." We built you this nice sanctuary. I don't know if, you know, don't forget that. It's pretty nice. You can come here anytime. It could be your vacation home, you know. And we said, if anything happens, you know, when we were building it, we said, if anything happens, we're going to come to the Lord. Well, guess what? Something's about ready to happen. The Ammonites are coming. And then he does one other thing. He goes, he tries to remind God that this may just be God's fault, that all of this has happened. He says, you know, in his prayer, you got to read your Bibles. It's so fun. In his prayer, he says, you remember the Ammonites, the ones who you said we couldn't wipe out? Well, now guess how they're repaying us. They're coming to attack us. And this is where he's at. And watch this next statement he makes. It's so awesome. He says, our God, will you not judge them? Now, this is so key. For we have no power to face this fat, vast army that's attacking us. Look, if, there, if there's a thing, we're going to see how this all you're saying, didn't you say this was about praise? We're going to see how all this measures up. First thing he does is he says, aren't you the God in heaven? Like you're up there. You're, you're, you're our heavenly father. You're the one who, who brought us out of Egypt. And the second thing he does, we have no power to face this vast army. Some of you just this week, Just this week, got some news today, news this week, where you said, well, I have no no power to face this. Maybe it was a loss of something. Maybe it was some way that God, um, uh, that, you know, something outside of your control, you got the pink slip this week. Maybe it was your spouse that came and said, you know what, I don't think this is going to work out. What's your response like? Jehoshaphat says, we have no power. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Then he says something that's so phenomenal that I'm hoping as we get through this morning, uh, uh, it's a a part of the scripture that that he says... That if we, if we could just get this in our minds as we begin to go through the battles of life, through relationships or finances or whatever, neighbors or whatever it is, if we can get this phrase embedded in our mind, I think it's going to go a long way for how the heart issue of praise begins to be dealt with. Because if out of the heart the mouth speaks, praise is no different if I'm speaking praise to God, I want that praise to be something that's just coming from my heart. Something where I say, I identify who God is. I say, God, aren't you the God of heaven? Aren't you the God who takes care of my needs? Aren't you the God who's created me? Aren't you the God who has a plan and a purpose for my life? That if that comes from my heart, praise becomes easy. Where praise becomes difficult for me is when I'm focused on the battle. When I'm focused on the decision I have to make. Which house am I going to buy? How am I gonna, am I going to switch jobs? Or maybe a deep loss I went through. That makes praise difficult. What makes praise easy for me is when my heart is set right towards my heavenly Father. So watch what he says. "This is so cool. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now, what's cool about this is that it rhymes. Okay, I mean that's just cool because this was not written in English; it was written in Hebrew, and so in Hebrew it probably says like you know ach ach ach. you know maybe it rhymes somehow. Okay, I don't I don't know. uh, Pastor Bob will tell you about that. Actually, he had a really good point between services, but um, I forgot it already. But here's the thing: he says, "Oh, I know that it changes cadence. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Is that not?" where you, I mean, have you not been there before in your life? I mean, this is where it manifested it for, for, for Lisa and I. I mean, you know, you guys know the story. I've, I've told it a hundred times. I'll probably tell it a million times because it's just such a part of who we are now. But, but you know, when our son was first diagnosed, diagnosed with epilepsy, the, the first thing I did was I did what I normally do, tried to find a solution, went on the internet, went on, you know, became, you know, studied everything about epileptology that you could study, and, and you know, Lisa knew all the medications, and we, we did what every parent does. We found out as much as we could. We got involved in support groups. We did, like, all this kind of stuff, but there came a time, about a year or two years into it, where we just went, we don't know what to do. How about our eyes are on you? We got nothing. We've done everything we could exhaust. We we went to the prayer healing rooms. We we tried this. We tried the diet, changed the diet. We made sure that he went to sleep at a certain time, woke up at a certain time. We, We tried everything we could, and finally we got to the point where we said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You know, the difference between that and the two years prior was nothing as far as results were concerned. But I think my heart... In speaking praise would have been changed if I could have done what Jehoshaphat did. When I first got the news, resolved in my heart to seek the Lord. And then over that time, just through the process of doing what God would normally have us do as parents, my mantra became, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. What what are you going through now? Does God have you in a battle right now? Something you're facing, you don't know the outcome? Listen, All all God requires of us is that we go before him. We say, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. I'm going to focus my energy on what I know. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to focus on what I know about you. Now watch what he does. I think I need to get contacts or something, or maybe just a giant Bible. It would give me a lot more authority, right? I could just be like, man, with a big podium, and I slam stuff down on it. That'd be cool. Okay, so anyway, he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So this guy named Jehaziel comes up to him, and he says, uh, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. That is so nice. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Do not be dismayed or discouraged. For the battle is not yours, God. Now listen, if you're like me, those, those can be super comforting words, but they can also, in reality, for those of us who've known God for a long time, be kind of scary. Because in some ways, for me, I kind of want the battle to be mine because then I'm kind of in control of the outcome. If, if, if I can just kind of like keep working harder at it or, or keep learning more or keep going, if I get enough people around me, if we can just get this, then I want, I want God's power to solve the problem, but I don't necessarily want his plan or his time frame. Like when it says the battle is not mine, but God's, it's like, good, excellent, God, give me all your resources and all your power, and then we can get this done. And he says, no, the battle isn't even yours. Now now listen to what that does when you get news of something you don't want to hear that's completely out of your control like Jehoshaphat does. It's not your battle. You say, well, it's my house that I'm going to lose it's not your battle. Yeah, but my, this new boss, he's, he comes from Chicago and nobody likes it. It's not your battle. It's God's battle. Here's the scary thing about God's battle. We think of winning the battle as the circumstances turning out the way we want them to turn out. <laughs> I mean, it was just human nature. You know, this is why praise, it's easy for us to praise the Lord when we get a job. Right? It's hard for us to praise the Lord when that job turns out to be 70 hours a week and you're on salary. It's easy for us to praise the Lord for a spouse and not praise the Lord when that spouse doesn't turn out to be who you thought. <laughs> right? See, see, what God's saying is, the battle isn't yours. And sometimes, this is what I found in my own life, God is doing battle with me. He's allowing me to go through things because what he wants is my heart. What he wants is my, is that, is that, that he w- wants me to love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. He wants me to love my neighbor as myself. And when these things come on that reveal in me a deficiency in that, God says, oh, this is my battle. And I say, oh, Lord, please take this cross from me. I don't, I don't want it." He's like, ah, it's my ba- battle, which means it's my timing, my plan, I'm going to use who I want to use. So while this verse is super encouraging, do not be afraid or discouraged, it's also a little scary. And we have to go back. Who is this God we serve? Isn't he the God of heaven? Is he faithful? Is he trustworthy? Does he only speak truth? Is he completely holy? Does he know everything? Is he everywhere? Is he all powerful? Is he mighty? Is he really, really smart? <laughs> Does he know you? Does he know everything about you? Does he know what you're thinking right now? Does he know the number of hairs on your head or the number of hairs that had just fallen off your head in my case? It's his battle, right? So he says, it's not yours, but God's. And um, so he goes on. Then he, he kind of gives them some information, like some inside information. He's like, yeah, they're, they're climbing up this valley, and they're, they're right here. And I don't have this verse with me. I forgot to put it in the, in the PowerPoint. But listen to what he says for them to do. Because it's not just, hey, the battle's God's just roll, you know, we have this little dachshund, and when you yell at her, she rolls over on her back, you know, like, and, 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 and he's not like that, it's not just like, the battle's mine, you're like, okay, sorry, he actually gives us stuff to do in the battle, and here's what he says, he says, you will not have to fight, okay, <laughs> that's good news already, right, you will not have to fight, take up your positions, though, like, get, get in the spots that you're supposed to be in, stand firm. See, isn't that hard sometimes? I, sometimes we just want to run. We just want to forget it. The marriage gets, gets going and it's tough and we just want to get out of here. Sometimes we want to run from God. God's telling you to do something difficult in a relationship or something like that. You're someplace you're not supposed to be doing something you're not supposed to do. And, and we just want to like la, 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 la. He says, no, take up your positions and stand firm. Then he goes on. He says, see the deliverance. He wants you to watch it. It's so cool. The Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow. And the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat hears this stuff and he bows down. And all the people in Judea and Jerusalem bow down and they worship the Lord. They start praising him with a loud voice. And this is what jehoshaphat does is so cool oh it no it was there good sorry there we go face him. good listen after consulting the people here's jehoshaphat okay he's the ruler of a nation and he just gets word that god's gonna win the battle for him and what he does this just shows you humility he just says hey guys how do you want this to go down I guess as a people, as a group, I mean, we're all here, we've fasted, we've prasted and fade, we've prayed and we've fasted, right, we're all together on this, see, again, it's God's battle, we're God's people, and he consults the people, I just love that, I had not seen that before, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor, what, of his great might, of his power, of how he smites his enemies. Is that what they're praising him for? Like, I mean, if, if it were me and I was, if I found out we were gonna go, if, you know, we all said God, you know, somehow gave someone a gift of prophecy here and all of a sudden we decided we were gonna go uh, take over the school across the street or whatever it was, right? Because they're terrible. We'd be like, yes, we're praising God for um, his strong might. No, they praise him for his holiness. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness, his set-apartness, the fact that there's nothing like God. That's just fascinating to me. And as they went out at the head of the army, so what's happened is basically they put the worship team out in front, which... I think it's a fantastic idea if we're going to battle, just because, you know, we can see kind of what's going to happen, and then if it doesn't work out, I can still hightail it out of there. I'm sure the worship band loves this idea, Um, but but that's kind of what happens. You you like put the singers, you put the singers out in front, and then, uh, you know, it's just fantastic, and then you wonder when he consulted the people, like how did that go down? Like, Let's get the worship band out there first. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. And so they do it. No, but watch. That's not how it went down, I'm, I'm almost certain. Listen, this is what they praise. Give thanks to the Lord again for his might, for his wisdom in battle, for his warriorship. For his love endures forever. But this is a connection with your heavenly father. I imagine. Going back to the battles we're facing, the news you get from the doctor or what have you. Imagine if our, our response is just praise. God, you know what? Are you not the God in heaven? Are you not, are, are you not holy, and set apart, and righteous? I just praise you because your love endures forever. That is the attitude of praise. Those are powerful words that we have to our heavenly Father. So here, here's, here's what happens. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Now, we read something like that, and we go, oh, oh yeah, cool. Like, so what was the formula for the Lord to set ambushes again? Can you give that one to me? Like, like I have this boss that's new and I don't like him, and it's just like every day I go to work, and it's difficult. Like, what do I have to pray for his cubicle to fall in on him, and he'd be crushed? Like, like that, then that battle would be over, and God would be victorious. Or, you know, what do I, what, how can I get God to slap my husband? How, what, what, what's the formula? Or, or you know, the, you're, you're losing your home, and all of a sudden it's like, what's the, what, what do I have to say again for God to, to come in and, like, save our house? Listen, here's the thing. The Bible is filled with times when it didn't quite work out the way they planned. But the battle's still God's. It's still God's battle. And Jehoshaphat didn't know what the outcome was going to be when he began this words of praise and this understanding of who God is. Yeah, it, it turned out right. Listen, for you, where you're at now, it may be a long time before it turns out right. The way we want, the solution is the thing we want, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's his battle. And his word for us as a church is you can praise him throughout all of this. Not just praise him for the outcome, but praise him from From the very beginning.